This is May It Please the Internet, a podcast brought to you by Revision Legal, lawyers who represent businesses that make money online. Hey, everyone, this is John DiGiacomo, and this is the Revision Legal podcast, May It Please the Internet, and I am joined by my partner, Eric Mysterovich. Eric, how are you? I'm doing well, John. How are you? I'm good. And today I'm excited to talk about a really exciting subject, Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> and Juggalo. Yeah, I'm down with the Juggalos, down with the clown. So I'm really excited to do a good hour and a half about why the Insane Clown Posse is the greatest rap group that's ever lived. So yeah, I'm glad you guys are tuning in. Yeah, don't tempt me with that topic. I could probably do 90 minutes on ICP if we had to. <laughs> well, in reality, today's episode is about Taylor Swift, but Insane Cloud Posse will come up again later. I actually have something relevant to say about it. But let's talk about this Taylor Swift issue. Eric, tell me about what's going on here. So we're here to talk about why, when you're looking on Spotify or Apple Music, you see Taylor's version next to her songs and what does that mean? How did it get there? And it's a pretty interesting story that touches on a lot of stuff that we do and we thought it'd be a fun thing to talk about. And I learned today that you're a big Taylor Swift fan, is that right? Swifty, I think is the right (laughs) term for that and absolutely. Big Swifty over here, my wife and daughter, big Taylor Swift fan, so there's Taylor Swift in our house going on a lot. All right. Well, let's start with copyright law and why this is relevant to our practice. So copyright is a type of intellectual property protection that protects original works of authorship fixed in a tangible medium of expression, which means that as soon as you write something down or as soon as you record it, you have copyright rights to that work. And the work can be anything that you can think of that would be creative in nature. It could be a picture. It could be a movie could be a musical recording, a book, a video game, architecture, in some cases, computer code. And with copyright comes a bundle of rights. And Eric, in law school, they always described this as a bundle of sticks, which I felt was just a weird analogy. <laughs> Did you ever feel that way? It's, it's such a weird way to talk about something. Just a bundle of sticks. Like when you're 22 or 23 years old, you're just thinking about like bundles of sticks, I guess. I don't know. What's, what's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the legal world is maybe not the best at coming up with creative titles, but the bundle of sticks, same with property law was also a bundle of sticks and a bundle of rights is I guess what they're talking about. And it basically means you have these like separate rights or sticks within your bundle of copyright rights. And so for copyright, you have this right, you can reproduce the work, you get to distribute it, perform it publicly, make derivative works of it, display your work. And each one of those is a separate right within your bundle of copyright rights, I think is what they're going for. So you can, you know, theoretically, you could license out one of those sticks the same way you could sell property or lease property partition property, grant rights to easements and things like that. I guess it's the same kind of thought. So would you describe this as like having a full set of Pokemon cards? So you've got your Squirtle, you've got your Pikachu, 
and each one of those does a different thing. Man, that's really sounds like an apt comparison. <laughs> I, I'm catching up on Pokemon. My son is six and he's getting into it. And so I've we've bought some books and I've started looking at it, but um I'm a little over my head with Pokemon. So if you say so, I'm gonna trust you. Well, I think that's an apt description. So again, these are all separate rights. So when you have all of the rights, you are the full owner of the copyright rights, but you can give away those rights. Like this is why the bundle of sticks analogy is typically used in law school. So in the case of music recordings, there are really two rights at issue. One is the right to distribute copies of the work. The other is to reproduce. And I guess there's a really a third right too, which is to perform the work publicly. What are we talking about here, Eric? What, what are the rights that Taylor Swift had? What did she give away? How did she end up in this situation? Yeah, what we're talking about is, you know, anytime an artist records an album, there's written music, there's lyrics, there's the written musical arrangement. That is a copyright in itself, and that's usually owned by the artist. But then there is also a sound recording, right? And that is most of the time owned by the record company and that sound recording or musical recording is commonly referred to as a master that's the master recording and so when you have these different i guess two or three sticks of rights it can make a little bit complicated scenario for publishing selling that music licensing that music into commercial ventures you're going to need everyone to sign off on it because the record company and the artist both own rights that make up that final product yeah and the record company gets its rights because in order to promote and record the album it takes substantial resources so the way that it traditionally would work is the record company would provide you with an advance let's say just say five hundred thousand dollars and that advance is on royalties so the royalties are the amount that it should receive in exploiting that copyrighted work. So in exchange for that amount of money to record the album, and in some cases to perform the album on tour and to market it as well, the artist will give those rights to the record company. And then in exchange for that, the record company will then grant back the right to royalties in a certain proportion. And so what the artist has to do is they have to make sure that their album actually sells because if their album is a dud, then they've got debt, right? They've got $500,000 in this case of debt that they have to pay back. And it's not paid back. You don't get 100% of the proceeds. So you're paying it back really over time through those royalties. And in some cases, artists will find that they've paid more to their record company than the advance, and yet they're still not out of debt because of the split that has been offered by the record company. So historically, you would see a lot of artists make bad deals and lose a lot of money. So this is an important area of the law and it really takes a lot of finessing and a lot of understanding of the of the market in order to make sure that you don't end up in trouble. But Taylor Swift is popular. So what did she do, Eric? What happened here? So she was signed with a record label. It's called Big Machine Records and they produced, I think it was her first four albums. So they held all those sound recording, musical recording rights while she owned the rights to the music and lyrics and composition. And there was this guy, Scooter Braun, who Scooter is a great name. I mean, this, the, you can't get better name for this story. <laughs> you really 
And I looked up his Wikipedia page. It's interesting. But he, he he's a manager for a bunch of very famous artists. And he bought Big Machine Records. He acquired the entire entity or all, at least all their assets. So he became the owner of all of the sound recordings for the first four albums for Taylor Swift. Sounds like they didn't get along real well. There's competing stories out there about what happened. Scooter says he wanted to sell all the rights back to Taylor, but Taylor never agreed to meet with him. Wait, uh, let's stop right here because this guy, I'm looking at him on Google Images and he looks like an investment banker. Please tell me that in your research, you found that he's an investment banker. Well, I think he is a an investor, probably just an angel investor at this point. So he's like um, a private equity guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. is, I mean, he looks just like a private equity guy. It's amazing. <laughs> So Keep going. he has the right. <laughs> He's fighting with Taylor. He wants to sell him to Taylor. Taylor either disagrees with that characterization or just was never going to pay this guy for her own music, probably the way she sees it. So Scooter sold it to someone else, and he sold it to this private equity firm. I read around $300 million. I don't know if that's true or not, but some private equity firm bought all the rights to Taylor's sound recordings for millions and hundreds of millions of dollars and i don't think taylor swift liked that either so she took a look at her contract and in that contract gave her the ability to re-record her music these kind of re-recording rights there was a time limit it was after two years after the music think had been released she could record her songs so now we're stuck with the situation of this private equity firm owns the sound recordings. Taylor owns the music and the lyrics and composition. Now she has the right to re-record the song. But doesn't that infringe on the private equity firm's rights in those recordings? Well, the, the reason it doesn't is because there is a carve-out in the Copyright Act that says that the exclusive owner of a sound recording has these limited rights to duplicate the sound recording and those rights are things like you can make a direct copy of it you can reproduce it for the purposes of distribution you can also use the actual sounds that are fixed in the record for the purposes of rearranging remixing or altering them in sequence or quality so for remix albums or you know compilations of the exact same recording i can do that but those rights are subject to the right of the owner of the copyright to make duplication of the sound recording through an independent fixation of sound. So basically to re-record it themselves. So even though you have the right to exploit that one recording, you don't have the right to exploit the underlying work and prevent a artist from having it re-recorded. So that's how we end up here. Yeah, they can't stop the re-recording. And it seems like this is a relatively rare occurrence. You know, maybe musical artists don't want to do it because the song's going to be different, right? Like the albums that she recorded a long time ago are going to sound different when she sings them now. So there's going to be some change to the song, but, you know, it's not a tactic that you see pulled off, at least in my experience, very often. But it's a really baller move by Taylor Swift. And then my understanding is, she signed with a new label, and under the terms of the new label, she owns everything. All the masters forever are hers going forward. She won't ever have to do this again. But if your Shamrock investment partners or whoever bought these 
you know, 300 million worth of sound recording rights, you're screwed. You're done because Taylor has branded all of her songs, all of the re-recordings with Taylor's version. So if you are on Spotify and you see the same song and one's Taylor's version, that money's going to her, not to a private equity firm. And of course, everyone's going to pick Taylor's version. Yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't. And it's interesting because this is uncommon because this seems like a drafting mistake. If you had a right to re-record after only two years, it seems like that would have been a mistake in the initial contracting process. So I'm not really sure why that occurred. That seems like a problem. And I mean, what do they do after this? They <laughs> You're going to see like late night infomercials of the original recordings, right? Like... I don't even think they can do that because she still owns the rights in the music. Yeah, and the so, music. Like, right. They're dead. I, I don't know. I mean, she would never. she's never going to give them permission to use it for anything. Yeah, what a problem. What a huge mistake. I mean, this is just a great example of why you hire a competent counsel when you're drafting agreements. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a risky move to buy those rights, especially with like, I don't know, some artists you would think are more apt to just kind of go along with the show. But, you know, Taylor Swift's not going to. She's going to do what she wants and just a terrible purchase. If they had no way out or no recourse after that $300 million purchase, I mean, I can't imagine those things are worth much at all anymore. Yeah, and now she joins the very limited few people who own all of their rights. Among those are Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> Bring it back together. But people make fun of ICP, but for years they've been incredibly profitable for that reason because they control all of their work. They produce it, publish it, distribute it, and as a result, they don't have to do things like this. So. I think they're the smartest music act in the business because they're making their own money and they're keeping all of it. Dak Shepard has a podcast called Flightless Bird, which is this guy from New Zealand who explains phenomenons in America that he thinks are interesting. And one, he has a whole topic on ICP and just goes into the history of it and how they were you know, the gathering of the juggalos and how it was this like peaceful thing and then eventually became not quite as peaceful and then they're named as like terrorists by the u.s government or gang related activity and how that impacted like normal people's lives and they lost their jobs because they were somehow affiliated with them and pretty interesting episode i'll have to check that out you know the the alternative is that you end up fighting with your record company one of my favorite artists is nine inch nails and there's a case that went on for years between Trent Reznor and his producer, John Malm. And the general idea was that John Malm had apparently been, you know, allegedly feeding him drugs and, you know, used that to force him to sign an agreement where he had less royalties. And there's just all this opportunity for grift and for theft within that system. So it's important to make sure you know what you're doing, but Hey, good for Taylor Swift. Yeah. Boss move by Taylor. Love it. Swifty for life. Love the move. <laughs> well, that's all we have today. Uh, again, this is John DiGiacomo and Eric Mysterovich. This has been May It Please the Internet, and we'll see you next time.